But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Father, we were glad when they said to us, let us go to the house of the Lord. And we are thankful that our feet are standing within your gates, in your kingdom. Thank you that in Christ Jesus, we have been saved. And you have brought your kingdom to us here in this place. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome tonight to All Saints East Dallas. My name is Jay Wright. I'm the pastor here. And uh, my wife and I have just returned from Israel. That's right. From the, we were in the Middle East. We spent 10 days uh, touring, traipsing here, hither and yon, to and fro, all up and down this little country about the size of New Jersey. And I don't know if you can tell, but this stole has a very special kind of cross on it. It's called a Jerusalem cross. Did you already know that? It's okay if you did. You're not a nerd like me if you knew that. Um, there's all sorts of symbolism for the one big cross and the four little ones. But this is, it was made in a monastery in Bethlehem, and it's just, it's wonderful to be with you, to go to the Holy Land, to the place where Jesus walked, to see, you look across a valley and see on a hill, and your tour guide says, well, that's Nazareth. And you think, oh, Nazareth. And it's not Nazareth, Texas, where there's the, you know, the great girls basketball team or the Soaps and Suds Festival every summer, uh, where we would sneak away during high school. It's, and it's not Nazareth, Mississippi, it's Nazareth, Israel in Galilee. Um, so I'm sure that I will unpack and debrief and tell you all sorts of things that you maybe wouldn't rather know about Israel or some things that you would like to know that will inform your reading of the Bible. But today I want to be brief with you, partly because in Jerusalem, where I spent the last several days, it is now 1.27 in the morning. And there's no amount of coffee or football games or whatever or sermons to preach I was sitting in the, my chair last night watching a football game. We were flipping back, back and forth between that and the World Series. And I was out by 8, 8.15. And the boys kept shouting at me, Dad, wake up. <laughs> so if I fall asleep, you'll know why. I was standing where the Garden of Gethsemane was on the porch of a church called All Nations Church. And cars are whirring by and horns are blaring, and you hear all manner of people walking around you. People from literally every nation under heaven there to make pilgrimage to the holy city, to the place where Jesus went first not to glory, but first to be crucified on a cross. And Gethsemane means olive press. 
And Jesus, before he goes to be crucified, I can't imagine the weight that he must have felt, the emotional weight. I mean, I feel an emotional and psychological weight sometimes when I'm about to perform a task or do something, or if, you know, maybe you've experienced this, your, your children are just, they have so many requests and they love you so much that the weight just presses down upon you. And I can't imagine the weight that must have pressed down upon Jesus in that moment. But in today's passage, Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem for Passover. And in, in our passage, he's, he's already triumphantly entered Jerusalem on a donkey, a very messianic image. He's already gone to the basilica portion of the temple. The temple structure, the temple precincts were just huge. Just amazing. Herod the Great, the man that built the temple, the second temple, he wanted to be known for his big, beautiful buildings. <laughs> and he built cities, he built fortresses, he built palaces, and he built this temple. And Jesus going into the temple turns over the tables of the money changers, and he's teaching in the temple courts. And it's in that context that Jesus is now encountered by these last two rival gangs. Have you seen West Side Story? You know, you've got the Jets. Jets. And they're just a little too smooth with their dances, and the fighting doesn't really seem like fighting, you know? And then you've got, what's the other gang? The Sharks. You know, they're snap, scram, Sharks, it's us, the Jets. So imagine, if you will, the Sadducees are like the Jets, and the Pharisees are like the Sharks. So the Sadducees have just come up and asked Jesus a question about the resurrection to disprove him. And Jesus, you know, teaches them this amazing thing about, well, you know, God's not the God of, of the dead, but of the living, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the Sadducees are scrammed. They're gone. The jets are gone. So now the sharks see their opportunity. They come up, the Pharisees, that is, to question Jesus. And they huddle together and they send their best and their brightest lawyer, because he studies the law, he teaches in Moses' seat, Jesus would say later. And he says, teacher, not rabbi, but didaskale, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love. In a moment where the weight of God, the glory of God is pressing down upon him. In a place that is filled with Jews from all over Palestine, from all over the world, getting ready for Passover. Where instead of cars honking, their donkeys neighing, people going all over the place, teaching, people longing for his attention. And where this final gang of men who would eventually entrap him, who would eventually have him arrested, who would eventually arrange for his crucifixion, in that moment, he doesn't respond with a rebuke or a get out of here, but he responds with love. There's a saying in, in, in the old Anglican liturgy where after the confession, we would say, hear the comfortable words our Lord Jesus saith. And we would say this, the greatest commandment is Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus responds to cunning and trickery and plotting with love. How did Jesus do this? How was he able to meet people who were scheming against him with grace and truth? The sentence I want you to remember from tonight is that we love by being loved. Jay, how do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind? Jay, how do I love my neighbor as myself? They're really difficult. There's somebody I don't really want to be around. Their cubicle is so smelly. We love others and we love God by being loved ourselves. You heard the echoes of that love in Paul. Paul is a, is a bold guy. Paul does not mess around. I would hate to have been on the wrong end of a diatribe from Paul, before, especially before Christ, when he was Saul, persecuting the Christians, stoning them. But also, I'd hate to be on the wrong side of that with Paul, even after Christ. But you heard how he was speaking to the church in Thessaloniki. We, we're anxious for you like a mother. We want to make sure that you're doing well. You can hear the affection. Paul had been radically loved by the risen Christ. So much so, he was knocked off his donkey. Paul was a pilgrim, headed out of Jerusalem to Damascus. His pilgrimage was to kill Christians. And that's when Jesus encountered him. But in that, in that receiving of love, Paul knew exactly who he was. And the same is true for Jesus. He knows exactly who he is. He knows who his accusers are, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. He knows who his Father in heaven is, who his Abba is. He knows that he's not to be doing any works unless they're the works that he's seen his Father in heaven doing. So how can he respond with this simplicity of simply retelling the law of God, the word of God, but how can he respond with love? Because he knows exactly who he is. He has a deep sense of self. Because remember what happened at his baptism? Went there too, Jordan River. Really great. Talk about it later. Especially in Advent. Advent is coming, by the way. I have so many things to say to you. And if I'm not careful, I will follow the stream of consciousness that runs constantly through my brain like a ticker at the bottom of the ESPN screen. At his baptism, the Father proclaims over Jesus, you are my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove. Did you know that that is true for you? Each one of you and for me? simply by being creation, created by God, by being made in the image of God, and much more so being followers of Jesus. Those whom St. John would say have received this love of God, have, who have received Jesus as a, an atoning sacrifice or a propitiation for our sins. See, St. John, the closest disciple to Jesus, he said, it's not that we loved God, it's not that we conjured this love up or we listened to a great uh, 
song and thought, oh, well, that's what love is. I think I can love God now. He said, no, no, no. That, what love is, is that God loved us and he gave to us. And it's not that he gave us great bits of wisdom, but he did. And it's not that he gave us all manner of blessings in life, even though he did, or even a law to meditate on day and night. And when we meditate on it, we'll be like trees planted by streams of water. It's not that all that, but God literally gave himself. And it's by being loved by that God that gives of himself, who sacrifices himself, who considers equality with God something not to be grasped, but gave himself up like a servant, like a slave to death in the most shameful, the most vicious, the most cruel way that could be imagined on a Roman cross. What is the greatest commandment? Love God. With your heart, with your, with your affections, with your emotions, with your soul, the seat of your being, your spirit, and with all your strength. And that's when it gets tough to me. See, Jesus would characterize the Pharisees, the sharks, he would characterize the Pharisees later on after he sends them away with these, these answers to these questions. He would say, he would tell his disciples in the crowds, listen to what they say because they're teaching from the seat of Moses, but do not do what they do because they will heap upon you burdens that you cannot carry. But they will not lift a finger to serve one person. They'll cross land and sea to make one proselyte but won't do a thing to serve them. And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus can say this because he knows in the depths of his being that love of God, because he is God. Because his Father in heaven, your Father in heaven, and my Father in heaven has pronounced over him who he is. He knows exactly who he is. A beloved son for you, a beloved son or a daughter with whom God is well pleased. And in answering this, Jesus sends away the Pharisees. But not before he asks another question. So he answers their conniving, their cunning, their trickery, their scheming with love. And then he says, the Christ, whose son do you think he is? In this moment, he stumps the Pharisees. But he says, he poses to them a riddle, and I want you to pay attention. He quotes the Psalms, Psalm 110. Remember, Jesus knows exactly who he is. And he says, how... If the, if the Christ is the son of David, then how can David write in the Spirit, prophesying in Psalm 110, how can he write, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet? And the Pharisees are stumped. And that's the last that Jesus will encounter the Pharisees. Isn't that strange? What a dramatic moment. Because not many days from now, 
he's going to be handed over to be crucified. But this is the last interaction that he's going to have with them. And the things that he tells them are, love God, love your neighbor, and know who the Christ is, the Son of David. So Jesus knows exactly who he is. But in telling them who he is, in telling us who he is, he quotes the Psalms. So not only does Jesus know exactly who he is, not only does he know his accusers, not only does he know who his heavenly Father is, he knows this law of God. In fact, in that great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, he says all the law and the prophets are encapsulated. They hang on these two commandments. And we see in Jesus the one of whom the psalmist is writing. The one who's truly blessed. Happy is an okay word for the word ashray, the Hebrew word for blessed. But maybe a better way would be like really, truly, deeply happy. But Jesus is the one who's blessed because he's not walked in the counsel of the wicked. He's walked with them but he hasn't taken their counsel. He's been tempted by the father of all lies. Tempted to have the kingdom. Tempted to have the glory. Tempted to have the fame. Tempted to test God. But he didn't walk with them. He didn't linger with them. He didn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Because in Jesus, and hopefully in you and in me, our delight is in the law of the Lord. And they meditate on His law day and night. We love by being loved. And one of the ways that we encounter God's love, friends, is in the law of the Lord, in His Word written. Now, Jesus is the Word of God, period. There's no qualification. He is the Lagos, the Word spoken, full of grace and truth, the light of the world. In Him was the light. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. He is the Word, period. But in Scripture, in the Bible, in the Word of God written, we have all the teaching about Jesus that we need beginning with Genesis 1, ending in Revelation 22. And it's in His Word when we meditate on it. Think about the word meditate for a minute. While I strategically take a drink of water. Meditate. What does that word mean to you? Well, it certainly doesn't mean to empty our minds necessarily. Part of it can be being still. The definition of the Hebrew word there, meditate, evokes the image of a sheep. When I was in Israel, I saw sheep. In fact, oh my gosh. So, quick time out in a parenthetical moment. Amy and I were there with 15 other pastors and their wives. And I think most of the girls were excited about seeing sheep and shepherds. Because we, we were driving from Jericho, which is the lowest city on earth. How many fun... I already had so many fun facts. 
And I've come home with so many more. We're driving from Jericho, and this is amazing, up to Jerusalem. Jericho is like a thousand feet below sea level. And you're driving up to Jerusalem. And whenever they say in the Bible, you go up to Jerusalem, it's not because it's like up on the map. You're climbing thousands of feet. I think Jerusalem is like 5,000 feet, 6,000 feet. I'm sure you can Google that later and verify. But we're climbing thousands of feet. And it's just solid desert. Rocks. Sand. Oh, look, more rocks. And over that hill of rocks, more rocks and sand. There was a a beauty to it, but it was rocks and sand. And then, in a faded moment of glory, I hear a dozen, you know, 30-year-old women squeal. And I think, oh, is is there a bee? Has someone been attacked? Oh, no, it's okay. It's just a shepherd guiding his sheep. And when a sheep finds a patch of grass, especially in a land like that, the grass has to be hardy to stay alive. And you know about sheep. They don't have sharp teeth like we do. They have flat teeth. And when they take a bite of that hardy old Israeli grass and they chew it, have you seen their jaws? Their jaws go like this. Not like our jaws go like this. But their jaws do both, this and this. And they chew that grass and they grind it up. And the Hebrew definition for the word to meditate evokes the image of a sheep chewing on the grass over and over and over to extract every bit of nutrients that it can. And it's so laborious and it's so tiresome until the grass has done its work for the sheep and then it digests it through all of its stomachs, etc., etc. And so... The one that is blessed and happy. The one that is truly fulfilled. The one that walks not in the way of sinners nor lingers with the wicked nor sits in the seat of scornful are the ones who take the word of God and to put it in their mind and their hearts and they turn it over and they sing it and they chant it and they pray it and they listen and they take the full reality of who God is in that word written, and they put it up against the full reality of who they are as human beings. All of our crap, all of our brokenness, all of our shame. Nothing is hidden in His sight. And the fullness of God Himself is exposed to the fullness of who we are. And instead of shame, And then instead of this vague sort of malaise of guilt and, God, you just suck, Jay, or you just suck, whoever. Instead of that, we have the love of God poured out into us. Is there conviction? Yes. Is there discipline at times where the Word corrects us? Yes. Please, God, let there be because God only disciplines His children. But we love God and we love others by being loved by Him. And in the depths of our being, that Word of God exposes us to the love of God. Teacher, one that we want to kill. Which of these is is the greatest commandment? Love. So Jesus knows who He is. He knows His accusers. He knows His Father in heaven 
and in communicating to a group of pitiful gangsters who want to kill him, he can't help but quote the Psalms. He cannot help but reveal the love of God through the Word of God. When we do that, when we live in that meditation of God's Word, the psalmist says we are like trees planted by streams in the desert. The Jordan River runs right through the middle of a harsh and terrible desert. But all around it is life. Trees, grass, beautiful, a beautiful oasis in the middle of a desert. Friends, our world and our culture will continue to move further and further away from a kindness and a friendliness to the teachings of our Lord Jesus. We are going to need to meditate on His law day and night. And the more we do, the more we'll look like this beautiful, lush greenery in the middle of a stark, dry, and barren desert. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be loved by You. Fill us with Your love so that we can love You back, so that we can love our neighbor. Let Your Word be be so rich in our minds and in our hearts. Let it be on our lips. Lord, let our lives be marked by the beauty of Your kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.